Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, a podcast of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Shirley, Wisconsin. This is episode number 12, a sermon from Romans chapter 11, reading verses 33 to 36. The sermon is entitled, How Do You Measure God's Wisdom and How Do You Measure God's Justice? Let's join the worshipers on September 6th, 2020. God's word for today from the book of Romans, chapter 11, beginning at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his advisor? Who has first given to God that he will be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is God's word. I invite you to pray with me. Direct us now, gracious Lord, to hear or write your holy word. Assist your minister to preach and let the Holy Spirit teach. And let eternal life be found by all who hear the gospel sound. Amen. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, if you were to take a 12-inch ruler and hold it up to your head and try to measure the width of your skull, I think you would find that the space between your ears is about six inches, give or take. Some people's heads, like mine, might be a little bit more. But six inches between ear to ear, six inches of stuff between your ears, six inches of gray matter, six inches of brain power. That's it, six inches. And funny how we think it's so much more than just six inches of brain power between our ears. The human reason that we've been given is a wonderful thing to be able to grasp, understand, explain the way that the universe works. But nevertheless, it works against us when it comes to faith. Logic and reason have a difficult time with God. How do you measure God's wisdom? And his justice. So oftentimes that six inches between our two ears tries to put God inside and try to, we have to figure him out. And we discover that God is bigger than any box that we try to put him in. So today, we ask the question how do we measure God's wisdom? And how do we measure God's Justice. Do you ever think about what it takes to be God? What kind of qualities does God have to have in order to be a God of the universe? He would have to be perfect, that's for sure. He'd have to have intelligence to be able to make and sustain a universe. 
Today, God asks us, invites us through his word to contemplate his wisdom and his justice. Wisdom, first of all, starts with knowledge. It's been said that we're living in an information age. Look at the wealth of information that's at our fingertips. It used to be, if you wanted to learn something, you wanted to look something up, you had to go to what? The encyclopedia, whether your parents had one, whether your school had one, and if it wasn't there, you just didn't know it. But these days, we've got Google. We've got the Internet. We can find out all kinds of information. In fact, information is exploding. It has been said that in, up until the year 1900, the knowledge that we had accumulated doubled every century. In 1945, the knowledge that the human race has accumulated doubled in 25 years. In 2013, it said that the knowledge that the human race has accumulated doubled in 13 months. And now in 2020, the saying that the knowledge that we're accumulating is doubling every 12 hours. There's tons of information out there. As great as that information is, it is nothing in comparison to the knowledge that God has. What has taken the human race centuries to learn, God already knew. God has never had to learn anything. He has omniscience, all knowledge in every direction, no limit to what he knows. The internet has nothing on God as far as information and knowledge. God knows everything about us, not just the important details. In fact, Scripture tells us that God knows even the very hairs of our head. How many hairs are on there? He knows. The Apostle Paul speaks of the knowledge of God. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Now, Paul was a very intelligent person. He had the advantage and privilege of tons of education for his time. He was uh, educated at the top. Uh, um, he, was, he had the religious education that was second to none from under uh, Gamaliel. And even the Apostle Paul could not see to the bottom of God's knowledge. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Not only does God have knowledge about the entire universe, he also has wisdom. He has the ability to use that knowledge in a way that shows intelligence. We certainly see that as we look at creation, how God could create all the different species of animals, even all of those little tiny microorganisms that we cannot see without the aid of a microscope. He had the ability to put this all together and to interconnect and have the inner relationship between all of these species and animals. How God could put that all together demonstrates his great wisdom, to be able to take that knowledge and put it into practice. As Paul talks about the wisdom of God, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. In wisdom, God created the universe. Through God's wisdom, the universe continues to exist and function. He preserves it. To God are all things. 
God uses all things to his glory. As we look at how he uses his wisdom and his knowledge in the universe, it's meant for us to give God glory. As God interacts with the human race, through his word and through his people using that word, that is also for God's glory. If a person repents of their sins through this interaction between them and God and his word, or or God's word and his people, then that is to God's glory. If a person does not repent, interacting with God's word or interacting with God's people using God's word, then at the end of all things, when Jesus is standing there as judge, it will be to God's glory that even the unrepentant sinner will acknowledge that he is the Lord. We try to wrap our minds around the omniscient God whose knowledge and wisdom are far superior than ours. And it's a temptation for us to try to bring God down into those six inches of matter in between our ears to try to understand him and try to figure him out. We ask questions like, if God truly is wise, why is he allowing millions of babies to die every year through abortion? Where is the wisdom in allowing a religion like Islam to spread and grow and to promote violence throughout the world? Where is the wisdom of God when Christians in history have done violence to other people? Where is the wisdom in allowing the events of our state and our country unfold as they are? Sometimes we just don't have all the information. Remember when you were a kid and you were campaigning to stay up later? It seemed to you the wise choice that you should stay up later and watch the rest of the movie. But your parents knew something that you didn't know. They had more information. They knew you needed your rest. And even as you get older, maybe you brought someone home that you had very strong feelings for, and your parents, your mom or dad said, I don't think that that person is the right person for you. And you balked at their wisdom. Well, what do they know? I'm in love. But they had more information than you, more experience. They had more resources at their disposal that they were able to make that determination that that person wasn't the best person for you. Sometimes we don't have all the resources. Think of uh, the Packers cutting their roster down to 53. And I don't even have to log on to ESPN.com to know that someone's going to say that Goody should not have cut this person or he should have cut that other person. Everyone thinks they have the knowledge and the wisdom to make the right decisions. Where is the humility? Where is the humility that says, I only have six inches of gray matter between my legs, between my, my ears. Maybe someone knows more than me. When it comes to our government, our governor, or our president, how often aren't pundits and, and we ourselves saying, well, we would do things differently. Where is the humility in us saying, maybe they have more resources at their disposal than we do? And then when it comes to God, and we don't understand his wisdom, where is the humility that says, 
Maybe God has more resources than the six inches in between my ears. Theodore Roosevelt kept a home out on Long Island. He and uh, a friend of his, William Beebe, would have this tradition where after they uh, had a big conversation talking about the big events of their days, they would go outside and look at the stars and they would try to find a star in the constellation Pegasus. They'd find that star and then they'd have a saying that they would say to each other. They would say, that star is in the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as the Milky Way. It is one of several million galaxies. It consists of a hundred billion suns, each one of those suns bigger than our own. And then Roosevelt would say, Now I think we are small enough. Let's call it a night. God's wisdom is far bigger than the six inches in between our ears. And as we think about God's wisdom, let's not just stop with God's wisdom is bigger than ours. Let's also consider what God's wisdom did for us. God in his wisdom promised Adam and Eve a savior. And he had the the wisdom, the intelligence to be able to actually accomplish the savior that he promised. A savior who would be both man so that he could be their substitute because they deserved to die And he was going to punish Jesus instead on the cross. And he had to be true God so that his sacrifice would be for everybody. And he had to be true God so that he would be perfect. God, in his wisdom, planned out our salvation and then accomplished that plan. Think of all of the, the years that he had to make sure that the bloodline of the Savior was intact. That all of the promises that he gave God's people in the Old Testament would all be fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The wisdom and the intelligence that he employed to save you. And he did that knowing that you would be a sinner, knowing that you would rebel, knowing that you would question him. He still sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loves you that much. How do you measure God's wisdom? According to his word, you measure his wisdom according to his love. Looking at his word, here you see his great love for you to send Jesus to die for all of your sins. And that wisdom of God continues to make you promises. Promises to guard and keep you. Promises to watch over you. And he's going to fulfill those promises because he has the wisdom and the intelligence to work all things, yes, even evil things, for our good. God's wisdom is so far beyond us. And let's rejoice that he uses that wisdom to save us. Let's also talk about God's justice today. Paul says, How unsearchable are his judgments. How untraceable his ways. Paul had spent the previous chapter talking about God's justice. His justice is simple in concept, but complex in carrying it out. God had chosen the children of Israel to be his special people. 
He wanted the promised Messiah to come from their midst. He showered them with blessings and protected the line of the Savior from many evils. He saved Jacob's family from the hand of Pharaoh. He delivered the Israelites from an evil Pharaoh who wanted to exterminate them. He fed them for 40 years in the wilderness with bread from heaven. He gave them a land where milk and honey flowed. He sent prophet after prophet to these people, promising them that the Messiah would save them from their sins. Yet when the Messiah finally came, many of the Israelites rejected him. And since in their unbelief they would not accept his saving word, God turned the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. This is God's justice, simple in concept, difficult to carry out. When it comes to the justice of God, our reason comes to a standstill. We're like a person who's trying to wade into the water, and we're thinking we can do it, and then all of a sudden the water drops off, and the depths are unfathomable. We can't see the bottom. We follow the workings of God throughout history for a time, but then, but then we meet that cliff where things we just can't fathom God's justice. We draw back because it just simply is too much. God's justice are hard to understand. Why did God allow Adam and Eve to survive after they sinned? Why did God, by a flood, exterminate nearly the entire human race? Today we have unsearchable judgments before our very eyes. Why are millions of people going to hell? Millions of people whom God, whom Jesus bled and died for. Why are they going to hell? Because they don't have faith in Jesus. God's justice is simple. Adam and Eve sinned, so everyone dies eternally. And Jesus died, so that you can live eternally. His justice is complex in carrying it out. We hear a story about a convicted murderer who had done some terrible things, but yet on his deathbed, when he's old, he finally repents. And then we have a story about a teenager who was brought up in a Christian home, had a Christian education, but yet fell among the wrong kind of friends, fell away, died in a car accident before they could come back to faith. Does that look like justice? That's what Paul means when he talks about the depth of God's justice. The way that God handles things in this world. The way that he carries out justice may lead us to say, why does God do this decision and not that one? And Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his advisor? Whom has God gone to for advice When has God ever said, I don't know what to do here? When has God ever said, I'm stuck, I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't know what's right here. When has God ever said that? God's justice is something for us to marvel in. It's simple. The soul who sins is the one who will die. And those who believe in Jesus will go to heaven forever. But very complex in how he carries it out.
And should we ever question God's justice, how would you measure it? How would you take your six inches of brain power and try to say, God, you're not fair? That's what we do, though, isn't it? Our sinful nature wants to put God into a box, wants to say, God, you've got to make sense to me in order for you to exist, in order for you to be God. And we completely forget his mercy and compassion towards us. Have you ever listened to uh, something called a, a victim impact statement? When uh, there's a trial and the victim or the survivor has an opportunity to make a victim impact statement, has an opportunity to go before the judge and say what they want, whatever they want to say, and, the, and the, uh, the, the accused has to listen to it. There's one time there's this uh, daughter of a sheriff who said to, in her victim impact statement, she said, I hope you suffer. I hope you suffer like we are suffering. She said those words with dry eyes, a strong voice overflowing with bitterness and anger and hatred. Can you imagine if God were to make a victim impact statement to us? We're so deluded in our own thinking and the six inches of gray matter between our heads that we think that sin doesn't bother. If it doesn't bother anybody, if it doesn't hurt anybody, then how can it be wrong? And we forget that in God's justice, the one who sins deserves to die, that even that sin of thought that nobody else knows about offends an almighty God that wounds him that says, you should suffer for that, for what you did to me. You offended me, the one who created you, to be so much more than what you're thinking, so much more than what you're saying, so much more than what you're doing. We forget that God in his justice could make a victim statement that would bring us to our knees. But instead, God said, I sent my son to die for you. To take those sins away. The, the things that offend me about you, I put on him on the cross. So when we are looking at God's justice with our six inches and of gray matter... And we're thinking, God, you're not being fair. Let's think about God's compassion and mercy towards us. That he sent his son Jesus to die for us. To take away everything that offends us, offends him about us. Wouldn't it be a good idea for each one of us to take out a 12-inch ruler if you still got one. And at the 6-inch mark, write down with the felt-tip marker, the measure of human reason. We could put it in a drawer somewhere and then take it out whenever we're trying, having difficulty grasping with God's wisdom and God's justice. And say, it's only six, we've only got six inches of matter to, to determine these things. But God in his word Let's me know about his great mercy and love for me and his great plan of salvation that he accomplished 
for me. If he did all those things for me, then all these things that I don't understand, that I, don't, I, I can't figure out, I'll let him be God instead of me. I'll let him carry that burden, that, that decision, not me. And then we can say with humble awe, along with the Apostle Paul, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his advisor? Or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Emmanuel Cares. For more information how this country church can care for you or how you can help us care for others, go to ShirleyGreenleaf.com. That's S-H-I-R-L-E-Y, Greenleaf.com. Emmanuel means God with us. May you go out today knowing and comforted that God is with you, for he cares for you.